Content warning. The following topics may include situations which can be distressing to some people and graphic descriptions which may not be suitable to our younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In this fast-paced digital age, it has become easier to be carried away by all the information available on the internet. Since the conception of social media platforms, we have begun to live a life where we initially believe all the data we find on the internet, but then later on, we scrutinize the authenticity of this data. We are now living in an era where people can be easily misinformed but can also easily be educated as to which is true and which is not. We have become very technical and critical of what is being put out by utilizing the internet as our own personal fact checker. Thus, we have modernized our perceptions by always filtering out which is fake and which is not. However, amidst all these advancements, We as human beings, naturally, would always be curious about matters that couldn't be explained by our own intelligence of the internet or by science itself. We still crave for mysteries and anomalies, and we want explanations behind them because as humans, we would not be satisfied if we won't clear the unknown. As what H.P. Lovecraft said, and I quote, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown." Truly, we human beings fear the unknown. We don't want to be left clueless as to why things happen. The same is true about urban legends. We are unable to evidently identify their origins, and so we fear them. We fear that they might be true and we would experience them firsthand. And it would circle back to our fear of the unknown. Hi, this is Harris, your host, an English teacher by profession, a frustrated writer, the person behind the pen name the writer the civilian whose works can be found on my official facebook page and a true horror and mystery fan welcome to the first ever episode of the house on 13th street Urban legends have always fascinated me as a kid, and until now, I am still fond of listening to and reading about them. I grew up with stories about a giant snake in one of the biggest malls here in the city, the tale of a cult who knock on sleeping people's door in the middle of the night and then victimize them once they open to see who's knocking, the urban legend that shopao or steamed buns are made of cat meat. And of course, the most popular white lady at the ballet drive, 
who doesn't only make appearances by crossing the poorly lit street, but also hopping in at the back seat of cab drivers. These tales have been imprinted to the minds of many Filipinos that it somehow merged with our reality and with our everyday lives. But on today's episode, I am going to share to you an urban legend that did not only scare every Filipino, but also shook the entire nation. We define urban legends as contemporary folk tales that contain a horrifying element and are widely talked about and repeated that most people would regard them as the truth. Now, there are thousands of urban legends around the world, and yes, here in the Philippines, we also have a number of urban legends that may not be as terrifying and horrific as compared to the tales of the Slender Man or Bloody Mary, but they are just as equally scary they would make anybody pull up their blanket and hide underneath it. One of the scariest, or rather the most unforgettable urban legend for me, happened, or should I say, was born almost two decades ago. It was this story of a scarred-faced woman who allegedly killed her own children and cooked them. This tale went on like a wildfire, terrifying kids and people in general, forcing them to stay home past 5 o'clock in the afternoon and making sure that their doors and windows were securely locked. Now, why was this woman feared this immensely? Not only that she killed, cooked, and presumably consumed her own children, it was also mentioned that after she had done this ungodly act, she began developing a hunger for human flesh. It was told that she would lurk on the streets and hunt for her next victim once the sun had set for the evening. And others even said that she had gained the power of an aswang. Now, an aswang is a shape-shifting vampire-like creature known here in the Philippines. And others actually said that she could actually shape-shift and could fly. Her tale went on to live for years, making her story as one of the country's most widely popular urban legends. This is the story of Maria Labo, the woman who reshaped the landscape of Philippine urban legends. Now, Little is known to the origins of Maria Labo aside from the common description of people that she has a large scar on her face that seemed to look like it was cut in half. Also, that she was an overseas Philippine worker who went back to the Philippines and then committed the murder of her children. There are different versions of the tale, but one thing is for sure, the terror that her story instilled into the minds of many continued to live on. Now before I share to you the most accurate narrative so far that I've found on the internet regarding Mariela Bo's origins, I would like to share to you the version that was sold to me in 2002 when I was still in my 5th grade. It was a normal and typical afternoon 
our teacher had already dismissed us from our classes at around 4 or 5 p.m. and I and my classmates were preparing to go home. I think I was like 11 or 12 at that time. And then we heard this group of students from the class next to ours talking about a woman who they said would snatch unsuspecting victims and would devour their entrails or drink their blood like how a vampire would. The one thing that really stuck in my mind is that a vampire was at large in the city. I thought vampires aren't real, that they are just these mythical creatures who suck out blood and can only be seen on movies or be read in books. I was like, there's no way that this story was true. But of course, we were too young back then to know which is true and which is not. You would remember as a kid, right, that you could easily be persuaded to believe that one thing is true and one thing is not. We were curious indeed, and we were immediately leaning towards the idea of believing that this blood-sucking cannibalistic woman was out there, lurking in search for her new victim. With this, fear spread like wildfire. Eventually, the story of this woman went on being broadcasted on radio programs, even making it to the regional news. And that's when people started naming her as Maria Labo. Now, this is the version that I've heard so far during the reign of terror of Maria Labo way back when I was a kid. They said that she was an OFW in Germany working as a caregiver to an old man who while on his deathbed gave her some kind of a superpower which later on turned out to be something that would make her crazy over human flesh. When that old man finally breathed his last, it is said that Maria Labo decided to go back to her hometown in Capiz. Now Capiz lies on the island of Panay at the western Visayas region and is the capital of Roja City. Now, it is not really unusual for Filipinos to associate Maria Labo with Capiz because after all, the island of Capiz is notoriously recognized by many as the home of Aswangs. Now, I am not recognizing that the island of Capiz is indeed a tutelage for these monsters since we do not want to give a negative impression of the island and the fact that the rumor of it being plagued by Aswangs remained a rumor. Nothing has been proven so far. Actually, the local government of Roja City in 2004 started the Aswang Festival which was created to eradicate the negative meaning connected to the place as a space for Aswang and making the creature seem like something that should be fascinated upon by many. However, unfortunately, in 2007, when Capiz Governor Vicente Bermejo accepted office as chairman of Roja City, the festival halted. Anyway, as I've mentioned earlier, an Aswang is a vampire-like creature that devours human flesh and has the ability to shapeshift. Aswang is perhaps the most well-known mythical creature in the Philippines dating back to at least 16th century. There are a lot of mythical monsters in the Philippines such as the Tikbalang, Capre, Mananangal, which is actually a different version of Aswang, Tianak, and many more. 
But it is the Aswang that terrified many Filipinos since the Spanish colonial era. And since the monster Aswang has the reputation among many Filipinos to be this vicious, bloodthirsty creature, the story of Marialabo as being one significantly terrified everybody. When I did my research for the most accurate tale of Maria Labo and how she became a bloodthirsty monster, all had the same story except the part where she got her abilities as an aswang. It was said that she acquired it from an old man she took care of when she arrived back to the Philippines, and others said that she got it from someone she met abroad. Regardless of where she got her monstrous abilities, one thing is true. She became a vicious, man-eating monster when she came back home. Anyway, the story that I'm about to tell you is very much different than the version that was told to me when I was still a kid. In this version, or perhaps in this original tale, Maria Labo was a caregiver in Canada. She went back home to the Philippines to her hometown in Capiz, where she was married and had two kids. After working in Canada and obviously not being successful with her career in the country, she went home a little bit disoriented and destitute, disappointed that she really wasn't able to make a stable income. Now, if you are in the Philippines, it is really common for people to go outside the country to make a living, providing their families a better life. Thus, the term OFW or Overseas Filipino Worker was coined. At the moment, the total number of OFWs actually estimated at around 2.3 million, making the Philippines as one of the top countries to deploy workers abroad. But not all OFWs are lucky to land a steady job outside the country. The same is true with Maria Labo. Anyway, it was said that when she came back home, her husband started to worry about her. She began showing an odd behavior. She became very much different to how she was before becoming an OFW. She would stare blankly inside her home, sometimes she would talk to herself, and she would appear as if she's starting to go insane. However, when her husband would ask her if she's okay, Maria Labu would suddenly change her disposition and would look normal in front of him. He was terribly concerned with his wife's mental stability that he decided one day to maybe send her away. Now, I'm not really sure what it meant when it was said that he decided to send her away, but I can only assume that maybe he'll give back Maria to her parents and have them deal with her instead of him. However, when she was about to do so, she miraculously went back to her normal self. That inevitably became a sign of relief and hope for the family. But as we all know how things turned out, this miracle was just the calm before the storm. One night, when her husband arrived home from his long day work in the field, he found Maria cooking in their kitchen. Excited to share the dinner with his family, he called out for his two children. 
When no one responded to his call, he asked Maria about them. She turned to him and just gave him this weird yet menacing grin and pointed towards the stove. There, in his horror, he found his two children all chopped up and cooked. Some dismembered parts of their children were inside their fridge and some were on the countertop. This enraged Maria's husband, of course, and so he grabbed his bolo. Now, for those who are not familiar with what a bolo is, it is a large cutting tool of Filipino origin similar to the machete. And with this, he struck her so hard on the face, she was left with the scar that later on became the most prominent description of Maria Labo. Also, before I forget, the name Labo or Labo is actually an elongo term which means to slash, especially using a bolo knife. Anyway, right after her husband had slashed him on the face, Maria Labo fled to southern Visayas and Mindanao, where her story spread like crazy and was passed on through the word of mouth. Now the tale of Maria Labo continued to terrorize till this day, especially to those who believe in her and those who believe in Aswang. In November 2015, the horrific story of Maria Labo was immortalized into the big screen when veteran actor Roy Vinzon adapted it into a full-featured film. Sadly, the movie did not really do well in the cinema and did not catch on a lot of attention. Honestly, I did not watch the movie even though I am always fascinated with the story of Maria Labo because the reviews were so bad and after watching the trailer, I wasn't really that impressed. Regardless, Maria Labo's tale is one that remains memorable and haunting to many, especially when you're born somewhere in between the 90s and early 2000s. Maria Labo's name was so popular back then that there even was this ridiculous rumor about a cell phone number which allegedly belonged to her, and that when you try to dial the number, someone would pick up from the other line and all that you would hear is this heavy breathing. I'm not really sure if that was even true or people really didn't have anything better to do back then, so they spread this number and pretended to be Maria Labo just to magnify her terror. There were also a lot of claims that they'd seen sightings of Maria Labo and one even claimed that they were able to talk to her. Nevertheless, the story of Maria Labo only proved that our belief in mythical creatures, especially as Wang, is still rich and still embedded deeply in our culture. We may never prove the authenticity of Maria Labo in these modern times, but we still acknowledge that her story stays as one of the most horrifying urban legends in the country. The story of Maria Labo may not be as popular today as it was back then, but it is still a fact that people were completely frightened with her story. With the absence of easy access internet during those times, it was truly hard to debunk her tale as false. Everybody believed and acknowledged her existence back then. 
the bloodthirsty, human flesh-eating Maria Labo that hunts in the night for her next victim. Anyway, thank you guys for sitting through the first ever episode of The House on 13th Street. I am not really sure if this was too lengthy or too short for a podcast episode, but I do hope that you all like it. I would be doing some episodes like this that talk about the Philippines' abundance of urban legends and tales about mythical creatures that are feared here in our country. I already introduced to you the Aswang, and I'm very much looking forward to sitting through another episode that would talk about these mythical creatures. Anyway, that would be all for today's episode. Again, I do hope that you all like it. And always remember to stay afraid. This is The House on 13th Street. The House on 13th Street.